Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lisa Burke Show. Thank you so much for the feedback on last week's show, where Minister Yurika Bakis went into detail about her thoughts on indexation, tax reforms, and, of course, her own extremely interesting life story. This week, something completely different. We're going to try to break down some taboos around sex and sensuality and how that relates to changes we face in our lives as our bodies change, if we have cancer, as our self-esteem changes, and so much more besides. So in the studio with me, I have Martin Rich, who is head of the psychological department of the Cancer Foundation Luxembourg and a trained clinical sexologist. And on the line joining us from London is Cindy Gallup. Such a huge bio, but I'll just briefly mention here that you are the founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn. So ladies, wonderful to have you both with us. Thank you. Thank you to be here. And of course, as always, we have Sasha Kio, our resident news lady in the studio. And Hello. Sasha, we're going to start with a reflection, as you often do, of the week's news. And it never ceases to be busy. Of course, we have Davos to start with this week. Yes, it absolutely was the place to be uh, this week. And it always makes me kind of laugh that uh, this little sp- little Swiss town reinvented itself. Uh, it was just an idea with the, to invite the, the powerful, the rich, the politicians of the world. And they all come and they gather in this tiny little town, which apparently was jam-packed this year, as it always is for this particular meeting. You know, you couldn't move for black SUVs ferrying, very important, very important. Yeah, the SUVs against the lack of snow. Yes, against the lack of snow and also a green agenda. So that was quite interesting. Um, You know, most, uh, a lot of people flew in by private jet. So there's been a lot of criticism. Um, There were protests. Uh, Greta Thunberg was there with some young activists reminding um, people about fossil fuels and taking on the big companies. And she had a a big discussion on on the sidelines and also a lot of publicity saying, yet again, you're you're all talking, this is a talking shop, you know, where where are the actions? Mm -hmm. Um, But interestingly, also, the head of the UN, Antonio Guterres, gave a very powerful speech um, against the fossil fuel companies, um, and he cited this this report that was that Exxon Mobil did in the 1970s, where it was where it is clear that um, they knew about the effects of fossil fuels on on the climate, predicted climate change very accurately as it is happening now, and he compared them to the tobacco companies. So that's the first time I've heard of of this particular comparison. And if if that one runs, then my word. The the uh, the big oil companies are going to be in big trouble. Yeah, it's a really fascinating question, actually, because if they had known that, what should they have done with the information? <laughs> with the well, information. maybe not kept it quiet. And if they had the information, they wouldn't have been the only ones. But of course, you know, with this scientific information, we've all had the information for rather a long time, but it takes a crisis for things to happen. But at least we have somebody like Antonio Guterres mentioning this and bringing it to the fore and and bringing it into the spotlight that is Davos in its lack of snow. Um, Now, of course, we've also had a big meeting at the US airbase in Germany in Rammstein. Well, it's happening today. Yes. So uh, uh, so, uh, the Ukrainian President Zelensky spoke uh, by video link to, to the people of Davos. Uh, saying, I'm expecting um, 
big decisions to be made at this uh, Ukraine contact group meeting that's happening today at the US base. The US uh, Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin is there. The new German Defence Secretary, who goes by the fantastic name Boris Pistorius. You couldn't make that name <laughs> up, could you? Um, anyway, he's, he's brand new. And um, so and the Ukrainian Defence Secretary is also there. And the expectation is very big on Germany because uh, the UK have pledged to give tanks, as has France, and uh, the Germany is under pressure to allow the Ukrainians to use their Leopard tanks, not only the, uh, that they donate uh, Leopard tanks to Ukraine, but also allow other allies to use these German tanks. Um, so the Chancellor Olaf Scholz said um, he would be, they would be willing as a country to to give do, um, these tanks. However, only on condition that the Americans also donate tanks. Now the Americans have made a big announcement about military aid to Ukraine overnight, and it excludes tanks. So um, it, you know they, there is a lot of we- heavy weaponry uh, going to Ukraine, and but I think there is still a fear by the West that the that the actual tanks would escalate the war to new levels. However, of course, uh, President Zelensky said, you know, all hesitations just means Ukrainian lives, and he's absolutely desperate for heavy armory. Mm-hmm. Well, this story uh, we yeah. could talk at length about, yes. but it's one that we touch every week. So uh, we'll see by next week if there's been any move from the German side there. Uh, turning to a completely different story and one that perhaps Cindy uh, has a, a view on, uh, China's population has fallen for the first time. And I know you have uh, a Malaysian Chinese mother, I believe, Cindy. Um, I do indeed. And we also have um, Chinese um, traffic to make love, not porn. And I have to say that I've been saying for years that the answer to um, any country with a falling birth rate is that the government should be embracing and funding Make Love Not Porn because <laughs> we, we are the path to happy, loving sexual relationships, a whole lot more sex, a whole lot better sex and consequently a ton more babies. <laughs> well, there we go. And from the news perspective, Sasha, <laughs> that's fantastic. Can you follow that? <laughs> yes, no, I, I can't really follow it. But it's obviously it was a disastrous idea in the 70s to, to have the one child um, policy. I mean, you understand it. There was a, you know, there, were, there was a lot of evidence at the time that this was the only way to limit the Chinese population. But interestingly, of course, uh, you know, since I think since 2016, you have been allowed to have more than three children. And as we just heard, they're just the Chinese are not having children, which might have a lot of uh, economic reasons, background reasons, work. Um, And this is a time bomb because there's not going to be enough young people to support all these old Chinese. Which we see happening in Japan, I believe. Yes, exactly. And India is going to overtake China's population. So that's another huge... Really fascinating, isn't it? Absolutely fascinating movement in the dynamics of of the world population. It's really interesting, the spread of people. And I would like to add another comment on that, if that's okay. Yes, Cindy. Because I am somebody who has never, ever wanted children myself. Uh, very glad I always knew that as opposed to finding out the hard way by having them. Um, and and what I really want to see this um, demographic move drive is, first of all, completely different attitudes societally about what it means to be older. Um, so a breaking down of the appalling systemic ageism that exists in every country. And secondly, a complete rethinking of where government funding should be spent in terms of the societal structures that support 
support an older population as opposed to focusing purely on the younger segments of the population. Um, I know that's asking a lot, but I very much hope that this emergency in these markets will drive a complete rethinking about attitudes towards older people and how we support ourselves as we age. Well, we will come to a more in-depth conversation with you, Cindy, but I think just popping the seed of thought into your head if nobody has done it before, which I'm sure they must have. I think you need to be on the political spectrum somewhere in some country because somebody like you could drive this change. <laughs> we need. I would, I would love you. Hey, governments, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> Choose a government. <laughs> but we'll come to that now. And another crisis. Um, it never fails to disappoint me. The EU corruption scandal. Another turn. Yes, I mean it's 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 rolling and rolling. So today's news was that this uh, disgraced MEP Eva Kaili is still uh, in in detention. Um, they they fear that she might uh, run. Uh, you know, there's, there's a risk of escape. Um, also, in in the news today uh, was that the now president of the European Parliament has declared gifts that were given to her up to 125,000 euros which she kind of forgot to declare before so um <laughs> slipped know, her in, mind in the face of this enormous corruption scandal that is a, a a really serious slip of the mind isn't it um and yes the the and, and another MEP who was involved in the corruption scandal the Italian um MEP he has cut a deal and this this was the the big news earlier in the week he's cut a deal with Belgian prosecutors for a lighter sentence if he tells all and of course of course the authorities want more information because it does seem to be very deep in the European Parliament, I would say. Yes, this is MEP Pierre Antonio Panzeri. Yes, well, good name as well. We're good names yes, today, aren't we? Panzeri? we are. Yeah, so that's... Um, yeah, actually, we must also add that the Luxembourg politician Mark Engel, who's been voted in to replace Eva Kali, he is speaking at the Atenate today, the, the school in Luxembourg. So oh, is he? He is. Yes, yeah, so it's really nice yes. that he's getting involved with the students and uh, their debates at schools and really being hands-on with the, the young people to learn about the politics. And, and he's got a bit, yes, a big job to do once well, he gets he to the European Parliament, I think. Very big. And and the pressure is on to just uh, replace this lack of trust in MPs, MEPs. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because as you, I think we said last last week that, of course... People love to read a scandal and 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 then the trust goes. And if you can't trust your politicians, then everything kind of falls apart, doesn't scaffolding it? scaffolding I mean, of the, democracy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, moving actually to Luxembourg schools, uh, and it's not just Luxembourg schools because I have the statistics here for other countries as well. Obesity is a growing issue in the world. Yes, and, and even in Luxembourg, which is really sad because uh, you always feel that... Um, that sort of Luxembourg or France are a bit more exempt of the obesity crisis. Maybe being British, I kind of, uh, yeah, I always think, oh, well, it's, it's the UK, <laughs> it's the US, this doesn't really affect Europe. But they, they have found that the rates of obesity have more than doubled and um, amongst adolescents in, in Luxembourg and that it is an, a, a trend that has happened during the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, in particular, that, that was accelerated. I mean, you probably... Yes, we're, we're nodding at you, Martine. You probably have a psychological background reasoning behind this. Why do you think it is that there's a... Well, I mean, we can all guess why it might be, but, but from your psychological department... First of all, they were cut off everything. So they couldn't go down anymore, no sports anymore, no movement anymore. Yeah. So, the sedentary, I don't know how yes. to call it in English. but And then after that... Uh, 
eating is of often an emotional compensation. Yes. So this the whole stress of the pandemic stress, the the fear. Well, eating might be the simplest way to, to calm down, at least uh, in short term. Yeah, although I do think in Luxembourg we're so very lucky. We have so many parcours in the forests, wonderful yeah. places to walk. And so hopefully if the weather changes, uh, people will be enticed to go out more. I do try to get my girls to walk my dog. but uh, <laughs> And I think the figures in Luxembourg are much lower, you have to also say, than in the UK or the US. I mean, it has gone from, I think, 5% to 12% of, of secondary school students. But that that's a jump. That's a overweight. huge jump. Yes. So the trend <laughs> is the same, but the, the actual figures are far, far fewer. But it yeah. remains a big socioeconomic issue too. Yes. It does. So food with the crisis gets more yes. and more expensive too. So you buy the cheapest things if you don't have the money to. Which is not always, that's correct, absolutely. You're absolutely right. It is a socioeconomic problem that should be faced because it's always the the vegetables. And I know this is probably true in New York as well, Cindy and London, you know, that the cheaper food is not the most nutritious and can lead to weight gain more rapidly. Um, Now, I... I love this story, as you know, the science story. Um, and you know, I have a background with lightning and I did a documentary on lightning. So uh, oh. tell us about lasers and lightning. Oh, I think <laughs> you should tell us. Well, I'll just do a very quick uh, uh, news bit, which was that um, scientists have used a laser beam to capture lightning. And that just that headline alone made everyone very, very excited. But not only can they capture lightning, they can also, they also believe that they can use lightning. Now, I don't know what you would lose, use lightning for. And that was the bit where people got a little bit scared saying, are they going to... Well, electricity, which is power, power to, to... Power electricity or Well, that's what I'm guessing, not having read any of the information on it at all, but I would imagine it's a huge amount of power. I'm just wondering how they could locate... for. They'd probably try to bring it... Well, I, I need to read the background of yes. information here, but um, I think it's really, really exciting. And the other part of the story is that they can redirect it. Yes, exactly. So they can redirect it. And, and these scientists were standing on top of a Swiss mountain. It was so romantic, actually. <laughs> uh, to gu- And they can guide the lightning by 50 metres at the moment. Okay, not so far. Not so far, but presumably that means you could guide it away from crops, for example. And I, I say crops because when I did this uh, documentary a long time ago, um, I, we, we went to uh, South Dakota and we went to Miami and various places. But actually in North and South Dakota, agriculture is a huge thing. And they have lightning planes to go up into the storms and they seed the lightning to stop the lightning damaging huge swathes of crops, huge swathes of crops. Wow. So it really is, it it can damage an awful lot of agricultural crops. That's something that might not be obvious to everybody. (laughs) That's really interesting. And what interested me as well was that I didn't realise that we were still using very Basing, basic, sorry, lightning rods uh, invented by Benjamin Franklin in the 18th century. And that te- technology hadn't really moved up much more than that, apart from obviously planes redirecting lightning too. Exactly, exactly. So now, where shall we go next? Well, I suppose we ought to mention the strikes. I hate to mention the strikes because it's another ongoing subject, both in the UK and in France, which some people might add as part of the cultural identity. But in France, I, I don't like to give opinions, but it's it's about the retirement age and I must say Europe-wide they still have a very lucky retirement age. Yes, so so President Macron is trying to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64 which mm. to non-French people does not seem very extreme but obviously two-thirds of the French population are against this measure. So these strikes have a massive popular support. In fact, yesterday was a, a railway and school strike, very big strikes 
and over a million people took part and went out on the streets to protest. So they didn't just strike, they also protested. I mean, yes, it's very French. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, we are only no win. It's, it's a no-win no win for him. Situation. He's tried once. This is his second go at it. Apparently, he does have the power that he could just enforce this retirement yes, but age, but he doesn't want to because it would make him so unpopular. Well, yes, there's a law in French, uh, well, legislation, yes. where he has the power to override this, but I think he's used it about 11 times. I don't, again, know all of the legal facts yes. in France or what's happened in French politics this year, but I think he's used it quite a number of times this year already. But yes, he doesn't want to use it. However, I'm wondering why there isn't an EU-wide dictate on this. Uh, you know, you'd well, think it's that... retirement age is not something that that is up to uh, sovereign countries. Yes, but not an perhaps EU it shouldn't be. Thing. Well, yes. I mean, in England, I know it's 67. Yeah. So that's a huge difference, isn't it? It is. Um, so, and, and, I, but, and for example, the strikes in England now with the nurses' strikes that were going on this week and ambulance workers, it's, it's much more controversial, I think, among mm-hmm. people who either support it or don't support it. I've seen a lot of people, I mean, I'm sure, um, you know, saying that uh, they should not be allowed to strike. And and a lot of people saying, well, you know, we all clapped the NHS during the pandemic and now actually you need to put money where your yeah. mouth is and actually pay them a decent wage. So uh, I think there's there's much more discussion in the UK than there is in France for these. Uh, and the argument is different because you yes. can understand the people in France are thinking, I don't want to work another couple of years before I get my retirement wage. But I'm going to now turn to Cindy, the, the would-be politician of the future. Yes. And, and your comment earlier about... Uh, age and we do live in a very ageist society and hopefully with medicine and hopefully lack of obesity in the future and all of the other things that medicine can do for us in the future we will be living longer so how would you fix the French problem of retirement? Um, Well um, to be perfectly frank um, not very easily because um, the issue there um, has a lot to do with um, French culture and um, and a number of kind of societal and social assumptions. Well, what I will say is that um, uh, generally speaking, and 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 this is and this is also a route to fixing it. Um, the, the appalling thing is that in the business world globally, there's an assumption that the older you get, um, the less value you have to the business, and that. Actually, it's the other way around. The older we get, the more valuable we are because there is no substitute for experience. You know, um, older people are able to look at any business crisis and know how to solve it immediately because we've been there 64 million times, you know, around the block. Um, We are much more effective at managing people um, because we've had years of experience um, of that. And that's not something any business teaches. And honestly, I would like to see a shift in business and societal assumptions that acknowledges that the older we get, the more valuable we are. Um, And so the more we should be given opportunity in the working world to contribute in a way that absolutely fits with the way that we would like to work, as opposed to this cliched assumption of you slog your guts out and it's so horrible for so long that you cannot wait for the moment you down tools and retire. And that is no longer how people actually think. More rewarding work as you're older, better work-life balance, um, longer um, working um, lives are actually the answer as opposed to what happens with with retirement. Well, you've worded it so beautifully there to give older people with their wisdom and their experience uh, so much more 
privilege in the workplace and respect in the workplace as well, rather than feeling I need to work another two years and what a slog that will be. In fact, sorry, if yes, I can interrupt. In fact, uh, the president of the Chamber of Employees here, Nora Back, spoke about this exact thing this week and was saying we, you know, we should reduce working hours for this very reason that people don't just want to give up at sixty-two and say I've I've had enough. I'm I'm done with my professional life, but can carry on and have a better work-life balance. Then we could all work much longer. And it gives people purpose because there is also the story, and again, yes. Martin, you probably see it in, in your psychological work, where people lose their sense of purpose once they stop working. And I've seen it in older friends as well. Sometimes they feel they've lost, if they associate their work with their sense of identity, and they lose a sense of themselves sometimes. Now, what story would you like to end on? We've got a selection of stories to end on. I will let you choose, Sasha. What will what we end on? happy story can we use? Well, um, sorry, I'm just yeah. We we'll probably think. won't talk. Oh, maybe we should talk about the oldest person yes. in the world. I was talking when about you, age. When you said happy story, we will probably not talk it's about not the embezzlement happy. story then. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, maybe the the. Um, I, you know, it's 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 the oldest person in the world died this week. She was a French nun called Sister Andre, and she died at the age of 118. And um, what what's a happy story about this? I think is that um, there were there were various things. Is that she was not alone because she was in a convent, so she had many many visitors, and uh, she was not lonely. She was still compass mentis, but she was really looking forward to to going because her she was going to join her brother. So obviously she's very religious. So um, she very much felt at ease ease and contented. And the amazing thing about this story was her brothers fought in the First World War. This is I could not get over this because she was born in 1904. So her brothers were older than her. So so this is a long time, isn't it? And now the according to the Guinness Book of Records, who've been searching around for the next oldest person, it's a lady, again, a, a woman who's 115 living in a nursing home outside Barcelona. Well, so, the Mediterranean diet. It must sunshine. be. That's the secret, isn't it? <laughs> and the sense of community, as you mentioned already, not being alone, but having people around you. And of course, she had perhaps, uh, talking about Sister André, she had the sense of purpose inside herself with her religious beliefs and faith. Yes. And there were so many sweet things, quotes, like she said, oh, I became a nun later in life. Uh, you know, I was 41. So she already felt Ooh, old that is, at that, that age. That is quite old well, for a nun. Y- well, she yes, may have had a life. She's been a nun for over 70 years. Oh, true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I was thinking about her life before that, though. Uh, she had a life without yes, being a nun. So yes. Good for her. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, Sasha, as always, thank you so much. And I know you'll participate in the conversation. To thank come. you. It's been a treat. Thank you. The Lisa Burke Show. Martin Rich is head of the Cancer Foundation here in Luxembourg, psychosocial service, uh, psychologist, psychotherapist and clinical sexologist. And before joining the team of the Cancer Foundation here in 2013, you worked in a psychosomatic clinic in Germany, specialised in cognitive behavioural therapy, hypnosis, body psychotherapy, mindfulness, psycho-oncology and clinical sexology. And you are now offering free psychological and oncology. This is a hard word to say. Sexological counselling to cancer patients and their relatives in four different languages, that is Luxembourgish, German, French and English. Martine, this is such a great topic and so very important to talk about. So first of all, welcome to RTL Today Radio. Thanks for inviting me today. And I would like you to tell us really what the Cancer Foundation here in Luxembourg is doing about this quite taboo topic. It's a very difficult topic to talk about. So cancer and sexuality is a taboo. 
taboo, so it's double taboo. People already have the difficulty to talk about cancer. And then cancer and sex, oh my God. So um, I did a training at the University of uh, Louvain-la-Neuve in Belgium last year, well, the two years before, because we saw the need. We saw that more and more younger people came to us, middle-agers, younger people, And often, not directly, but indirectly, there were the questions that, yeah, sexuality, no, I'm not into that anymore. That doesn't, I'm not interested anymore. And uh, the, the, the cancer changed so much. So there's a, a huge lack of the after cancer. So more and more cancers can be cured. Honestly, unfortunately, the, the treatments evolved. So that's, that's great. But so there's much life, much many more life after the cancer. Yes, actually. And there should be life quality to that too. I did throw out this idea to uh, a group on Facebook here in Luxembourg, uh, a ladies group in Luxembourg, and I had some feedback and one lady wrote to me saying she had Ewing sarcoma at 27, did chemotherapy for about a year as well as many, many rounds of radiation and surgery. She went through the menopause in the technical sense uh, for two years and after treatment and she said it was a very, very difficult time but she got through it because she had great support. So that's really, I mean, 27 to be going through that and to be facing menopause at 27 is very, very mm. tough. So you're right. This is touching on taboo subjects. I mean, menopause is another, has been <laughs> until Divina McCall came along, <laughs> another taboo subject. So uh, what have you heard then? Who's coming to you? Um, when we think about cancer, we know about various changes to the body. We know that, for example, there we can go through menopause. If you're female, men can have erectile dysfunction with various cancers. So there's all sorts of physical issues. But uh, sexuality and how you feel about yourself is not just sex. No, sexuality is way more than that. It's, first of all, it's feeling like a man or woman or something in between. It's feeling comfortable in your body. It's your body image. So your body image is something very stable. The the way you see yourself, you perceive yourself. And uh, that's all already your sexuality. And, and then, well, it's the relation to another intimate person. It's uh, the daily habits, the intimate rituals you, you share with another one. It's, um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's your sensations, your perceptions uh, you have. It's the, the, the way you share your love, the way you get intimate and uh, many, many more, more things. And when you have people coming to you as individuals or couples, obviously you listen to their story, but What can you do to help them move forward? Do you start with their self-esteem and how they view themselves? Or do you start by asking them to just have more of those intimate moments in mm. a daily ritual? First of all, the, the most important step, the most important key is the communication. So people are not used to talk about that openly. So sex, sex is something available everywhere as pornography is accessible everywhere and people think yeah that's the norm it has to be that way but they rarely exchange about what they like what they don't like and and so it's already a huge step to do and to to start communicate about it and so i think it's already a big step if you share your experience Uh, with a partner and if you're able to 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 talk um, to tell him what has changed due to cancer and what you like and what you don't like anymore and if it's difficult well that's why sexologists or sexual professionals are there to talk about to help uh, starting the communication and then it's often 
the 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 topic is often that the loss of self-esteem and the loss loss of self-esteem is the loss of sexual self-esteem too. So I would say our our main clients are women with breast cancer, and any surgery, any well, and in this case, sometimes the removal of the breast is such a huge intrusive harm to your body image, to your self-esteem. And then often you, you see the vicious circle that a woman after a mastectomy withdraws because she doesn't like her body anymore. She doesn't, she finds it maybe even disgusting. And she reads in the mind of her husband. So she, she supposes or accuses him that he doesn't like her anymore too, and neither. And then there is often a withdrawal because you do not dare talk about it openly. And that might uh, might uh, turn into conflict sooner or later. So the most important thing is really the communication about and then stop reading another one's mind, but share your experience, share your emotions about it, and break, break the taboo. I'm thinking, you know, in that moment when a woman or a man are going through these changes in their bodies and their emotional inner selves that's when you need care of somebody close to you the very most and if you feel there's a chasm building up there it, it must even just pile on the pain at a time when you need that closeness even more even if it's just a hug or somebody saying i i'm here to help you i'm here to listen to you yeah as i said sexuality is intimacy it's hugging kissing touching just being there being present emotionally too And um, if it's a topic, it might not be a topic for everyone, but it can be a topic. And if you don't talk about it, well, then the withdrawn conflicts may be another burden for your partnership, for your, for your couple. As you said, one of the most important support factors during and after the illness. And so now with the Cancer Foundation here in Luxembourg, tell us the whole remit of what you offer, because I know that the, the psychological counseling is offered there for free. Mm-hmm. So we have a psychosocial service and um, quite a huge range of languages we offer psychological support. So there's Luxembourgish, French, German, English, there's even Portuguese, Spanish and Greek. And uh, as you said, the counseling is for free. It's for the, the, the cancer patient and its relatives. We offer so the, the counseling in the Cancer Foundation, but if people cannot come to us, we offer online consultations too. It's about psychological support. It's about groups, speech, uh, speech groups, uh, relaxation groups, other offer, group offers. And just following up on that then, if you have people who might be listening to this who are too scared to come and talk about this, they don't yet have the confidence to talk about it, what would you encourage them to do as the first steps to build up, I think, what is the most important thing, their own self-esteem inside themselves? What can they do? When they're mm. dealing with cancer and they don't really know the prognosis and they're feeling really probably awful about that, how can they make the first step to build up their own self-esteem? If self-esteem is harmed by treatment by cancer, I think the most important thing is to develop an attitude of loving kindness, of gentleness to oneself. We often, we too often are too harsh with ourselves, judging and, and devaluing ourselves by the changes we live. So we, Uh, imagine uh, you, you lose your you, you lose your head through chemotherapy and you judge yourself as ugly and and you don't like it anymore so really to try to be patient and try to be gentle and 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 kind to yourself because it's not your fault don't be afraid and, and don't feel ashamed 
of that. It, it, it's the cancer that does all these changes to you. And it's hard to cope with. It needs time. It needs patience. And it needs, uh, after all, a gentle and, and loving kindness to yourself. And when you have seen couples in relationships coming to you, what would you advise them to start with? The steps, the first few steps to, to come closer together? Well, keeping up uh, physical touch, keeping up int intimacy during their uh, root, daily routine. It's not about, it's not only about the sexual intercourse. It's um, that may, might be on hold during the treatment. And that's absolutely okay if you, if you don't feel it, you don't have to force yourself. It's nothing about performance or pressure. It should re really be the, the sharing a good moment, sharing pleasure together. And um, often, as you said, it's, um, yeah, it's the hug, it's the touch, a gentle touch, a kiss. It's being present and, um, yeah, talking about it. Well, there are lots of uh, people within relationships who can feel very lonely. And I think in this situation, it might be one of those from time to time. So thank you so much for offering this service. And of course, we'll put all the links to that as well. Another email I got actually uh, is uh, related to this, not with cancer, but uh, perhaps moving more towards you, Cindy. Adriana wrote to say she's 30 years old, someone who is plus size and views herself outside the norms of society. And she said, also, the sexuality of the older woman is not talked about much or exposed, and she feels it should be exposed more and talked about. Um, as she says that stores forget about being able to have more lingerie for large sizes, and everything that she sees in the magazines and the shows is the sexuality of the standard body. And of course, this feeds into what you're dealing with as well, the poor cancer patients. And so it's wonderful when we have the stories, when women or men are strong enough, and it's mostly women from what I see, strong enough to talk about their cancer stories. I know that we have a wonderful podcast called The Big C, for example. It's a very famous podcast about cancer now from the UK. And there's lots of people on social media who put out their stories. And I think the presence of other people putting out their stories can give confidence to others going through it. I think it's so important to know that you're not the only one. If you think, if you withdraw and don't talk about it and you think you're the only one, it, it's much more of a burden. Exactly. I saw a story this week, actually, um, that I, that really struck me, which was a charity in the Netherlands, um, which is uh, tattooing women who've had double mastectomies. And there were these photos, and there were several different women who were standing, um, you know, open with their with the, these fantastic tattoos of where their breasts had been. And so I, I assume they weren't having reconstructive surgery. And it was so fantastic it's because powerful. they're really powerful. And I think the more, the more, uh, yes, influencers or social media in a way that, that there is showing yeah, that think. bodies of all types, all shapes yeah. and sizes, um, uh, the, the, the more acceptance there might be. So I now need to turn to Cindy because I've just seen that you need to dash at 10 past the hour. Is that correct, Cindy? Um, yes, I know we started late, but this went into my calendar with a hard stop at 10. Okay, so sorry. So we'll dash to you then, Cindy, just to, to introduce you. You're the founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn, launched at the TED event in 2009, pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And then in 2013, you turned Make Love Not Porn into the world's first user-generated, human-curated social sex video sharing platform. And uh, it's about normalising sex. So I leave it there because I want you to talk uh, before you have to dash. Um, well, I mean, you have an incredible backstory. You were a marketing leader in New York, extremely powerful woman. You still are a powerful woman. So what was the background story to this site? 
Um, well, I'll keep it brief because what I really want to touch on is the amazing work that Martine is doing and how Make Love Not Porn can help and has helped in the 10 years that we've been operating as a business. So um, Make Love Not Porn is an accident. It came out of my personal experience dating younger men, usually in their 20s, and realizing that when we don't talk openly and honestly about sex in the real world, porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. So I originally launched Make Love Not Porn as a kind of public service announcement, porn world versus real world. The entire world responded following my TED talk, and I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. And so I turned Make Love Not Porn into what it is today, the world's first and only user-generated, and by the way, 100% human-curated, to be the safest place on the internet, um, social sex video sharing platform. We are what Facebook would be if Facebook allowed you to socially, sexually self-express, which it sadly doesn't. The way to think about Make Love Not Porn is, if porn is the Hollywood blockbuster movie, Make Love Not Porn is the badly needed documentary. We are a unique window onto the funny, messy, loving, wonderful, comical, awkward sex we all have in the real world. And what we are doing is we are socializing sex, making it easier for everyone to talk about, to promote consent, communication, good sexual values, and good sexual behavior. We're literally sex education for real world demonstration. Um, we have a revenue sharing business model. Our members pay to subscribe, rent and stream social sex videos, and half the income goes to our contributors, whom we call our Make Love Not Porn stars. And, you know, the, the thing that's blown me away in the 10 years that Make Love Not Porn has been operating is not only how well it does what I design it to do, but how well it does things that I never design it to do. So on the what I decided to do front, we hear all the time from couples who say, you saved our marriage, you saved our relationship. But on the what I didn't design it to do, um, I find it fascinating that we hear a lot from people with cancer. Um, one woman wrote to us and said, you know, I had breast cancer, I had a mastectomy, I thought my sex life was over, you know, um, I'd lost my sexuality. And then I discovered Make Love Not Porn. And your wonderful community of all these lovely people, you know, sharing their real world sex has made me feel joyous and happy and sexually empowered again. Um, another um, a couple wrote to us, um, the husband had been diagnosed with prostate cancer, had surgery, um, was cancer free, but erectile dysfunction had resulted. And this couple had had a happy, thriving sex life for many years, they went to a sex therapist who recommended Make Love Not Porn. And they wrote this wonderful long email to us telling us how we had, you know, restored their sex life. And the interesting thing to me was um, the wife said, and in fact, our sex life, thanks to Make Love Not Porn, is now even better than it was before the surgery. And although they didn't detail this, I have a feeling that that was because we celebrate the full glorious spectrum of human sexuality, including the many wonderful ways in which you can have non-penetrative sex. And so we showcase wonderful ways to enjoy yourselves um, that, you know, don't require 
um, erectile function necessary to do so. Um, but, you know, to, um, the, um, the point being also um, uh, with reference to the email from the um, larger woman, we celebrate real world everything, real world bodies, real world hair, real world penis size, real world breast size, real world vulvas. And that's so important because in any circumstances, you can talk body positivity all you like. You can preach self-love till you're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, nothing makes us feel better about our own bodies, like seeing people who are no one's idea of aspirational body types getting turned on by each other, desiring each other, having an amazing time in bed. In a world where every message popular culture sends us, tells us, you are not hot, sexually attractive and desirable unless you are this skinny, six pack abs, look like this. Our members write to us and say, make love not porn help me feel better about my own body. You know, one man wrote and said, my girlfriend and I now feel able to be more open and central with each other because you made each of us feel better about our own bodies. And so I've just been blown away by how you know, holding up a mirror to the way that we all have sex in the real world can be utterly transformative. We change people's sexual attitudes and behaviour for the better in so many extraordinary ways. It's an incredible site. I have been on it, of course, to do my <laughs> research. And um, one thing I, I worry about is voyeurism. What are your views on that? Do you think it's positive, negative? Oh, um, you know, the fascinating thing about Make Love Not Porn is um, voyeurism in the best possible way. And what I mean by that is, you know, first of all, um, our contributors, our Make Love Not Porn stars, um, they are sharing their real world. But the vast majority had never, ever filmed themselves doing anything sexual before ever. They're doing this for us because they believe in our social mission and our social values. They want to see a more healthy, open dialogue around sex. Um, and in that sense, the extraordinary thing about the videos you watch on Make Love Not Porn is that you are being in invited into people's real lives. And there's a fascination in that. You know, one woman wrote to us very soon after we launched and went, oh, my God, I love these videos. They're amazing. Then she went, this is probably going to sound really weird. But one of the things I love about your videos is I love seeing the insides of other people's houses. <laughs> <laughs> I love that too because our make love not pause this is real world sex they're having sex everywhere on the kitchen floor you know um on the beach on vacation one couple the husband built a shed in their garden and to celebrate him completing it they had sex on the roof of the garden shed and so you know you are you are literally seeing you know real people how they live their real world lives and how and you are, you know, all of this is fully consensual. You know, they want to share um, the, the, their sex lives. And, and by the way, again, you know, given the theme we we're talking about earlier, um, you know, we are transformative for our Make Love Not Porn stars. So, you know, one woman, um, she shared, we have many masturbation videos. We call those me time. And so she <laughs> shared this video, uh, her very first video, Make Love Not Porn. And in the narrative, because we invite people to write their own descriptions, she said, um, all my life I've been told my vulva's too ugly. It's too flappy, it's too big. She said, I don't think so. And so I thought, what the hell? I'm going to share a video and make love not porn and see what you guys think. 
our community is amazing. In less than an hour, that stream of comments going, you're beautiful. What are they talking about? You're amazing. And so it is so enormously positively affirming to share your real world sex and be appreciated by our extraordinary community. So it's really building up self-esteem. I wanted to touch on another very important topic to you personally, which is ageism. And I know you've been very vocal and one of the few women, really, I think. We see men doing it all the time, but one of the few women who's very vocal about um, having dates, no serious long-term relationships, but, but you have long-term relationships in a different way with younger men. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very open about the fact that I, you know, have never wanted married, never wanted children, um, adore being single, cannot wait to die alone, and I date younger men casually and recreationally for sex. But no matter how casual the relationship is, I have one fundamental criteria. They have to be a very nice person. I have amazing radar for very nice people. As a result, I only date utterly lovely younger men in an atmosphere of mutual trust, respect, affection and liking. And so my so-called casual relationships ironically go on a lot longer than most people's so-called committed ones. I date younger men off and on for periods of two, three, four, five, 10, 15 years. Um, they may go on to date girls their own age. Um, we stay friends. You know, we like each other. We'll meet platonically for drinks or coffee. Every so often those relationships end, they come back. It's very nice indeed. It's it's an extraordinary and unusual story that we don't hear enough from older women. Cindy, I know you have to go now. It's such a shame that you have to dash off, but uh, perhaps you can join us another time because you have such strong storylines. And perhaps one day we'll see you in politics. Which country would you choose? Um, oh, gosh. Um, t- um, honestly, um, t- um, um, any country that, um, that, that that you know, really gets my vision and is willing to welcome me in. So, you know, Luxembourg. Here I am. <laughs> come, come and visit. We're delighted to have you in the studio. I would I would adore to. And, and I'm, I'm so sorry that, um, you know, I have to leave you. Um, but this has been fantastic. Martine, I love the work you're doing. I'd love to talk Thank more about you. that and how, you know, we can help your um, clients. And um, and everybody, please, please go to makelovenotporn.tv, support us, because we fight an enormous battle building this business every day. I'm raising funding right now to scale it. So anybody in Luxembourg who gets that we are the future and wants to fund something that will change the world through sex, it's Cindy at makelovenotporn.com. <laughs> the message is Fantastic. registered loud and clear. Thank you so much for joining us from London, Cindy. Thank you very much. And we, of course, will uh, send all those details in the show notes and, and take care with your next meetings. I know you've got a busy day ahead. Cindy is an inc- incredible lady. And just to, to give her full uh, background, I didn't uh, give it earlier. She has a huge background in marketing in New York. Her apartment in New York has been used for music videos. She has this black apartment. She used to bring ladies around with Cosmopolitans when Sex in the City. I mean, if you if you have a few moments to spare and you want to <laughs> Google. Oh, I know. I'm definitely researching the, uh, Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> She's an incredible lady and um, and grew up, uh, first of all, in Amersham in the UK and then went to Brunei where her father had to work. Uh, her father is British. Her mother is uh, Malaysian Chinese. And uh, she writes herself that her mother was a, a, a tiger mom. 
And uh, and she went off to study English in Oxford and then ended up leading marketing for huge names in New York and uh, as, as a resident New Yorker. It was such an uh, uh, I love this different take. And it's, it's so um, it was so interesting and powerful to hear her speak because, you know, as a mother to uh, young adults, you're always very concerned about um, expectations, uh, sexual expectations because of porn. Um, so you kind of wish that all young adults maybe would follow this rather than porn because you know like like she was saying about self-image and these ridiculous ideas like you know women with no hair or you know you name it um it's it's so awful i think and it makes me sound about 100 years old and and no it doesn't it makes me sound very normal cindy has just got the right take on it i think on sexuality She's an incredible cheerleader and I'm sure in your experience as well with your clinical psychology experience, you've seen young people coming to you for other reasons outside of the realm of cancer, but just with self-esteem issues about how they look because so much of how we feel about ourselves, unfortunately, is linked in this day and age with social media and everything else to how we look. Yeah, yeah, it is. And as a, to, to return to pornography, it has nothing to do with pleasure. Yes. It's all about pressure and, and performance. And if you... Any any pornographic actor would confirm this that it's not about pleasure. So, it's, but you read unfortunately, it's 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 such a a bad image. And you but you read that sex. young people that's how their sex education mm-hmm. is coming from pornography, and it's mm-hmm. really scary, isn't it? Yeah, I've I've heard some terrible stories about that actually. Yeah. So I think to see real life out there is extremely valuable as well. I suppose something we haven't spoken about is what happens to a person's mind if they don't want sex anymore. You probably have people coming to you as well through the process of cancer or various things and they feel like that part of their life is turned off Mm -hmm. and they have to kind of re-register their mind to cope with living like that. Well, I think what's important behind is the reason why they don't have it anymore. Is it just a a denial? Is it, uh, well, it doesn't feel pleasant anymore? I'm having pain or and so that's why I don't want it anymore? Or is it really that you say, well, Okay, things changed and it's not important to me anymore. But what should stay important, if you're in a couple or not, is the intimacy. And and, and so I think the, the important thing is to explore the reasons why. And often there are other reasons behind that where you can find a solution. For example, when, when a woman in artificial menopause due to hormonal therapy comes and says, well, I'm not into that anymore. And, and so why aren't you into that anymore? Well, because uh, it aches. Uh, my I, my vagina is dry, so it aches and I have no desire. So and if you go ahead and you see with her if she would like to get into that a- a- again, you can find solution for all these problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another one of those areas that's only being brought to the fore now, as far as I can see. And, uh, you know, Divina McCall in the UK has spoken so much about this and she's really put it out there on social media and through her books and documentaries uh, the whole sphere of menopause which is something I think we should do another show on here actually. It would be a good idea because I've never heard it really openly spoken about here I don't know no maybe it is more discussed but I, I've never heard anyone talk about menopause. But what I would have liked to have got on uh, to speak more about with Cindy is that two spheres of life, one that you've already mentioned which is the young people and how they are viewing things nowadays through social media and what their relationships expectations of relationships are because one thing I have seen in the last 
decade, I would say, is the huge opening up of exploration of is it boys, is it girls, who do I like? So that's 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 a huge spread nowadays, which I, I didn't feel present in my day. Um, so they're more exploratory in that way. But when it comes to staying safe and uh, what their views are on sexual relationships, that's a conversation I, I don't yet have with my children. <laughs> You might yeah. have had them with yours. Yes, I mean, as I say, I've got three three young adults. So you do you do have that, and and things have moved on a lot since we were young and uh, children. As you say, the the choices are there, and I sometimes feel that there's a lot written about things like body positivity and being totally open to all um, sexual encounters and knowing your boundaries. But actually, they're as clueless as we were. I, mm. I get the feeling there is more information, but. Um, I think, you know, they're still really vulnerable because they are really young and inexperienced. And so I can imagine they, they, you probably have quite a lot of young people coming to you asking for help and advice. And what would you say to young people coming to you? What, how should they navigate this path ahead of them and where should they get their information from? Mm, so uh, sexual education for youngsters is often limited to the dangers of sex. So, oh, there might be uh, illnesses, there might be... AIDS, there might be anything else. Or you, oh, you can get pregnant, so we... So fear is a part of it. Fear is a big part. Which is a and shame, because as you're explaining, it should not be about fear, but it should be about bringing a, a kindness to a relationship. Yeah, yeah. It should be about pleasure, sharing a good moment together. And, well, fear is a big topic in, in, in gene cancer too. If your mind, I, I would say the, the brain is the most important uh, sexual organ. So if your mind is preoccupied by, by worries, by fears, well, it's for sure that you cannot feel pleasure, yes. that you cannot let go. And for the youngsters, I would, uh, well, I would tell them, yes, to ab- abandon them, well, for them and for any other, to abandon the myth of the coital sex, that the idea that sex is erection, penetration, and on top of that, them is the must of, of an orgasm. No, it shouldn't be a performance or pressure. It shouldn't be sharing a good moment alone or with, na- with another ma- uh, person, yeah. So they're very important messages to pass on to to all of our children and to try to raise them to happy adults, not fearing, not having to feel all of the emotions that I've had people writing in about, uh, not feeling body positive. And I do think in some parts of social media, we have a growth there, not in all parts, but in some parts. And then the other side of it I wanted to move to that perhaps you have experience of dealing with, Martine, is older people. As people age, that's another change. Of course, we all face it, hopefully, if our health is good enough we all face old age and changing bodies changing ideas about our sense of identity and what we want in life so how should one deal with that change of mind and also the other part of that is if they're in long-term relationships how do you sustain a long-term relationship mm-hmm. so i think uh, if we stay on the topic of sexuality sexuality is something that changes throughout lifespan anytime if there's an illness or not, if there's cancer or not. So to to stay open-minded. And the most important thing is not to limit the sexuality to sexual intercourse or penetration, but really to share good moments together and maybe even to say, okay, we're having moments that that we share and we will not have penetration or sexual intercourse in the the way we, we used to, but... We're being present again and exploring 
my body, the other one's body, by touching, by caressing, by kissing, massage, masturbation, but really being open again and aban abandon the myth of coital sex. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very strong message and what, to go to what you said previously, which is that if our minds are full of fear or worries, that it's not possible and that the mm -hmm. mind is actually the most powerful part of our body entirely. Yeah. Well, you've fed us so much information. Of course, I will put the links to the Cancer Foundation here in Luxembourg and everything that you're offering. Have you got any final words to our listeners? Any positive notions to send them into their weekend? Mm -hmm. I think, um, well, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Talk to your partner openly about the changes. Do not blame anyone. It's not your fault. It's due to the cancer, the changes. And so do not blame, but just talk openly about what has changes what you like, what you don't like anymore. And above that, if there are problems uh, you cannot find solutions to, talk to your health, to the health professionals, to your doctors. And even if they might feel ashamed, maybe feel ashamed too. And if they don't know the solution, maybe they know somebody they can send you to and somebody that can help you and your partner resolve your intimacy problems, I would say. Martin, thank you ever so much. Thank you to Cindy in her absence for joining us from London. And thank you as always, Sasha, for being present and part of this conversation. I always learn so much every week. <laughs> it's really interesting. Me too. And I, I confess, this is a hard topic for me to talk about. You know, I, I, it's not something that I talk about in my daily life as well, but I think it's so important. And the messages that I was getting privately from our listeners, it's something that people really care about. It really affects how somebody feels inside themselves. And I think by doing this more and more and by opening the conversation people get less scared they don't feel so alone and it's exactly what Cindy said by showing what real life actually looks like we can make a difference to other people's lives mm -hmm. thank you thank you mm -hmm.